0: Um, rather than uh, pursue some kind of like an incredibly lucrative career right now, is a really big deal and it means a lot for the kingdom. But she needs the support of many people in order to have a base to do it from. So please consider doing that. And we're really excited to be able to support you, Carmen, in that way. I'm so excited you got to share with us. Um, Okay, so if you have a Bible, pull it out now. And we're going to be in Psalms as we look at Psalm 128. We have been uh, in the summer of Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, which are the Psalms that um, the people of God um, spoke um, and sang and recited as they approached Jerusalem on the holy days. These 15 Psalms that you find in this one portion of the book of Psalms, um, were uh, they cover all kinds of different things, and uh, many people who have studied them for years since they were originally um, sort of gathered into Scripture for us uh, have noticed that the Psalms of Ascent don't just—they're not just songs that are nice to sing and nice to hear and kind of encouraging a little bit. The Psalms of Ascent are um, are also uh, sort of give us a, a blueprint, kind of a plan for what it looks like to live life as a disciple. They kind of hit all of these different things that are very valuable in in our journey, our pilgrimage to follow Jesus. In the same way that an Israelite was on a pilgrimage. They left their home. They spent often weeks traveling in order to get to the holy city to be able to celebrate God and worship him with with his people. Um, We ourselves, anyone who is a Christian today, are on a pilgrimage. We are on a journey. As we know, there is a holy city that we ultimately will reach, which is heaven. And we are living this life uh, not as people who are in their most comfortable, perfect environment, but people who are living um, as sojourners, as strangers in a foreign land. And this is something that's come up again and again and again as we've been in these Psalms of Ascent. The moment you leave your home and you begin that journey in the wilderness to the holy city, you are in a foreign land. And so they would recite these Psalms sometimes as an encouragement. Um, The one that we looked at last week and the one we're looking at this week are actually wisdom Psalms. They're ones that actually speak to us. About, about, about a wise way of living and about how God's people have a way of living their lives that is filled with wisdom and with truth that is, like, universal. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to read Psalm 128, and then we'll jump right into it. Um, we've we've kind of had a lot to talk about this morning, so I wish I could say it's going to be a shorter sermon. I'll just say that. I wish I could say that. Um, Psalm 128 says this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This psalm, uh, like we said, is a wisdom psalm, which means it's kind of like a song that has instructions in it. You pay attention to the words and they tell you something about what you're supposed to do or how it is that we live this life. And they make sense out of the life of a believer. Um, This psalm begins with this one verse, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Blessed means uh, experiencing peace and abundance of joy in life, okay? That's a good thing. We all want to live a life of blessing. That is something that's universal to all of us. And if you say you don't, I could probably convince you that you do. We might just have a completely different definition of what blessed looks like. But we want a blessed life. And the psalmist promises this truth. Everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways will be blessed. That's a pretty good good deal. Sign me up. How can I do that? The reason that the psalmist describes the believer as one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways, this is a common way that believers are described in the Old Testament. And it's important. First, fears the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears everyone who everyone who fears the Lord. To fear the Lord means to recognize. You're like, fear? You'd be afraid and scared of the Lord? Fear of the Lord is awe. It is the recognition of the fact that God created me. He is the authority and the author of not only this world, but my life, me, individually. He created the universe. He created the planet. He created all of us. He created me. That's crazy. That's incredible. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, meaning recognizes that he actually is the author of all of this. And that means he is incredibly powerful. It also means that as the author of anything, he is the one who dictate, who really tells us how that thing ought to run and how that thing ought to be. God is the absolute best and really only authority on how I'm supposed to be living this life, on how I'm supposed to be treating other people. Fear of the Lord speaks above all else to the decisions To make God the authority in a person's life over, here comes the hard part, our own desires, our own will, and the many, many, many voices that are outside vying for our attention. Saying, don't fear God, fear me. Fear the world. Fear the state of the world. Fear this group of people. Fear what you don't want to become or what you don't want your life to look like. Don't worry so much about fearing the Lord. He doesn't, he's, that's fine. Fear and worry about and be driven by and even defined by these other things that you're encountering in life right now. But blessed, says the psalmist, is the one who fears God and not those things. First and foremost the other thing is blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and then walks in his ways again in Scripture especially in the wisdom literature of Scripture there is this description again and again of a wise person being a person who walks a certain way and no it's not talking about like who walks in his ways that would have probably been like a totally different sermon if I like way missed the interpretation of this and was like I'm gonna just show you guys for like a while up here on the stage how to walk literally how to look when you're walking like you're walking in his ways But that's not actually what it means. And as as much as I'm all for literal interpretation of Scripture, uh, that would be a little bit too literal. Because what it means in the Old Testament, when it talks about walking in its ways, is this idea that there is a path that is right. And this is really the hard part, though. There are all these other ways that are wrong. Just like a path. Any path that you choose to walk on is you picking a very, very specific thing when you think about it. There's all this other way I could go, and then there's that one way. Blessed is the one who not only fears the Lord, but walks... In his ways God created you and I and everyone else to work in a certain way when we talk about God as a creator and this is really important when we talk about God as a creator we aren't really just talking about God as like an artist creator a lot of times I think we tend to go that way with it and to say that because we we value the idea that we are unique and beautiful created things that that we think of it like uh, the way you create art But there's an important distinction here, and it is this. God created nature, he created the universe, he created you and I, kind of like an engineer creates something. The way that they design something to actually function a certain way, right? Art is kind of more up for interpretation. Uh, The things that we create that have to work as machines, they have instruction manuals. They have operate according to instructions only. That's how they work. And this is no different in the creation that God has made himself, including you and I. And so blessed is the person who recognizes that there is a way to walk and to live in this life. And if we walk in that way, we're walking in the right way. And the Bible talks about this again and again by talking about a path. In fact, the way of the Lord is usually a straight way. In fact, it's always a straight way. Whereas the way of the world is a crooked way because you keep realizing you're going the wrong direction and things don't go so well, and so you have to churn, and you have to change course, and you have to change course. And you're like, why is it taking me so long to get anywhere? Why am I so exhausted? Why am I so stressed out? Why do I feel like I don't know how to make any decisions, how to do anything, what's right, what's wrong? Because maybe I've given up on this idea, or maybe I even have stopped hoping in the fact that there actually is a way of the Lord. It's a straight path, and I've chosen to get off of it. As people ascend to the mountain to Jerusalem on their way to the holy festivals, they sang this song as a reminder to themselves and to their families that their choice to be the people of God meant they would be a people who would experience tremendous blessing. Imagine trying to get around anywhere but not using roads, not using sidewalks, not using any of the ways that we've carved out in society to get places. You, just, you can do anything but that, right? Imagine how hard it would be to get places, how many obstacles you would encounter, how much longer it would take you, and most definitely how quickly you would get arrested for uh, whatever you would have to do to get somewhere, including going through someone's backyard, right? Uh, we need paths, we need roads, we need ways, and as these people are on a path walking, they're not just on a path walking to a city, they are on... Um, god 's way they are choosing to walk in god 's way, and the good news of this psalm as they remind us, is that in choosing to be the people of God and choosing to fear the Lord and walk in his way, we know that that means we will be a blessed people. Now so many associate being a Christian or following Jesus or being one of the people of God with the opposite of blessing we associate it with Doing lots of hard things, choosing to avoid all the fun stuff in life, getting all the joy ripped out of it, but somehow knowing that we either get to go to heaven in the end or we get to feel like we at least are a good person maybe. You know, uh, The joy goes away. The, the fun goes away. And I think this is one of the greatest misconceptions about what it is to live as a believer. I remember when I first became a Christian in high school, I, I, was, I, was, I was like, I, I, I hear the gospel, I respond to it, I, I believe that it's true, I recognize how it absolutely makes sense based on the world I've been living in and what I've seen and where I'm even at in my life right now. And then the next day when it came to the question of how do I live out this faith, I was super depressed because I was like, man, now I'm just going to have to spend the rest of my life not doing things I want to do my understanding of what it meant to follow God to be on the path of God was literally nothing more than don't do certain things and you might be like man that's a pretty weird understanding of what it means to follow God is it that weird of an understanding is it that unusual of a way of viewing the life of a Christian or is that how many approach the life of a Christian which is that we are the people who don't have joy We are the people who choose to stop doing all the things that maybe would make someone happy, and the result of it is that we know we're right, but it doesn't mean that we get to be blessed. Those who fear God and walk in his ways will be blessed. How will they be blessed? They will be blessed in a very important way. We will actually be capable of enjoying and benefiting the things that we have been given in life in a way that those who are not following God can never hope to. To be the people of God is to be a people of blessing. Such blessing will we experience that the world will look at us and say, wow, there's blessing there. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want, my life to, exp- I want to experience blessing in my life. I want to experience the good things of God in my life. And much of life, I feel like I'm not experiencing it. So what does it mean to live as this person, to be this person? If we walk uh, in the way of the Lord, if we fear the Lord and we want his blessing, what does it actually look like? He breaks it down into a couple different things, the psalmist. The first has to do with labor and work and what we produce. The second has to do with our families and our homes. And the third has to do even with the city in which we live. And what that looks like so i want to start with the first one which is this the psalmist says this you shall eat the fruits of the labor of your hands you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you so a person decides that they're going to go out and they're going to grow something so you plant a seed and you 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 first you you work the soil and you get it ready Out in the sun, you plant a seed, you cover it up, you begin to water it, you begin to care for it, and then you begin to cultivate this plant that you're growing. There's no more basic description of what it is to work In this world it seems than that Um, and in an agricultural society which is what we're reading about here we read about the Israelites people who depended on the things they produced, the food that they could eat for all their economy and the stuff they could grow and sell and trade and things like that to other people uh, this is a really big deal we work and do things in order to anticipate what's going to grow out of it so that we can benefit from that thing This is what we do every day of our lives. We work and we produce and we grow and we play our part in making life on this planet work. And we do it in order to experience the fruits of that work. We do it, we plant the seed and we water the seed so that we can eat the fruit that grows from the plant. we grow the crops so that we could sell the crop and have money to be able to get other things that we need in order to experience the fruit that comes from those things and work isn't just farming and it isn't even just the career that you might have work is what we're created to do we're created to cultivate and to produce in this life and we all feel driven to do it in some way or another and without doing it we feel aimless we often feel even purposeless I work when I raise my kids, I work when I go to my job, I work when I'm in my garden, I work when I'm in my wood shop. I work when I exercise and I work out. I work sometimes, uh, some of us work is being in relationships with people. It, it, we, we, if you're somebody who's like, you know, it's, it's hard right now uh, to be in relationships and to keep being in, in maybe in new relationships, right? It's be so easy for me to kind of hole up with the people, the few people that I know, maybe just with my family, maybe with anybody but my family. And then I, that's where I can find my comfort. That's where I can find my joy and my security. And so to actually go and to really be about other people is work for me. It's kind of like toil for me. For some, just living is work. Your, your body's breaking down. Life is getting so full of obstacles that just not giving up and living another day feels like it's work. Regardless, we all have this drive to work and to produce and to do something. And when we don't, when we kind of give up on that, when someone that you know gives up on that, you know there's something wrong there. You know they're not actually living the way that we're designed to live. We live in a world in which we are all getting better and better and better at being productive. We are accumulating more than we ever have before. We are get accomplishing more than we have before. We are connected more than we were before. We can do things that we would never have dreamed of doing even, even 20, 30 years ago when it comes to how much we're able to cultivate and do in this world in the time that we put into doing things. We are better, it seems, at anything related to work. We're better at working out. We're better at dieting. We're better at growing stuff. We're better at being productive in our jobs. We're living longer. We're better at staying alive. We're better at tackling the things that seek to take us out. Our children are healthier and live longer. We are more connected to people for the good and for the bad. By all accounts, we are doing better at labor that is fruitful But do you know what else you notice when you look in this world and we look at our own lives and we're honest with the state of things is that for all of what we're able to accomplish now we are not any better in fact we seem worse at being able to enjoy the fruits of the labor that we've worked there was a study done uh, in 1965 Congress held a lengthy hearing to discuss the looming 20-hour workweek. According to their estimates, the rapidly expanding automation that we were experiencing in the mid-60s of the day meant that by the year 2000, Americans would have more free time than they know what to do with. Summer camps, they were worried, would have to stay open year-round. People would be taking so many vacation trips that our national infrastructure would need to be overhauled completely to handle the increased traffic. When people in the mid-60s, as we were realizing, man, technology's making productivity way easier, people in the mid-60s were going, what are we going to do in a few years when we just have all this time on our hands and we can just relax all the time? Ask anybody who was around back then if people seem more relaxed now. (laughs) With all of the abilities that we have to do these things, we are so good at work. We're so good at toil. We're so good at productive living in all these different ways. We have more tools as parents, more tools in our families. We have more tools than anything that we endeavor to do. I can go on YouTube and watch a couple videos and figure out how to do anything. And then go buy a bunch of stuff and try to do that thing and realize, "Ah, I need a lot more than those YouTube videos. Thanks, guys. But the problem that we have is not the work and the productivity. It is the ability to enjoy the fruits of our labor. The psalmist says, you will eat the fruits of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. We're terrible at this. And what Scripture tells us is that one who fears the Lord and walks in his way will be blessed. Why? Because they will be in a position to be able to actually enjoy the fruits of their labor. Well, why would that be? Because the one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways has all that they need in God himself. They have nothing to prove to the world existentially. My work doesn't need to be defining who I am. All the things that I do don't need to be distractions from other stuff in my life. If I am a person who am truly fulfilled by God as I I am designed to be, and his people are, then the fruit of my labor is simply the fruit of my labor. I can enjoy it and I can go to work the next day and keep doing it. We earn money and we say, I just need a little bit more money. I just need a little bit more. Once I get a little bit more, then I can stop and I can enjoy it. Then I can slow down and I can relax. Once I get through this season, once I get through this time, once I get through this life stage, once I get through this phase, then I can relax and I can enjoy the fruits of my labor my passion for the position that I'm in. I've talked with so many people who have a passion for like a position that they get in life, you know, a job or something like that. And then you talk to them in the middle of that job or a year later maybe, and that passion has completely become eclipsed by the next thing that you wanna get, the next thing you wanna do. Or if your boss didn't turn out the way you thought or the people you work with didn't turn out the way you thought, then all of a sudden that thing that you were passionate about doing, all of a, all of a sudden is just toil. And now all you're focused on is, what is it that I could do that's different from this? Because it doesn't seem to be fulfilling me the way that I thought that it would. My boss doesn't appreciate me. What's the point? Now, the work that I'm doing isn't leading to the kind of ends and the productivity that I want. And this isn't just true in a job. I work out. I don't get the results I want. I diet. I don't get the results I want. I don't feel as good as I felt in the very, 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 very beginning of the diet. I raise my children. It doesn't feel the way I thought it would. I'm in a marriage. It doesn't feel the way that I thought that it would. I'm in community in the church. I serve in ministry. I reach out to other people. All of these things we do because God made us people who do, and that is good. But we do these things going, it isn't as good as I thought that it would be if we're doing it to get something that defines us out of what we do. The good news about being blessed is that we don't need that. I remember talking to my father-in-law. He was a successful doctor in private practice. And as he was approaching the age of retirement and then blew past the age of retirement, he would tell me constantly when we would see him and he would have to go off to work again and again that he's been trying desperately to find someone to hand his practice off to. He said, I built this practice, I built this thing that I'm very proud of. It's, it's very lucrative, and all I need is a good doctor that I can bring in and I can hand this thing off to. And because of where they lived and people didn't want to move there, really, uh, they like, were limited on the people that could come and do it. And there was a point at which after year after year of watching grandkids growing up and going to work and not being at home with his wife and being able to do these things, he got to a point where he said, it just doesn't matter anymore. i got to be done. Even if I know that this thing that I built doesn't last and doesn't survive why because i'm realizing that this thing that i built isn't what i was doing it all for you see when we need the work that we do to fill the void that god is in the life of a christian then we cannot enjoy the fruit of our labor but blessed is the man who walks in the way of the lord and fears him why because they have the right priorities God gives us all that we need because I am one of God's people no matter what my circumstances are or the abundance of where I am right now, He has given me more than enough to be content, the Bible tells us. So I will live that way. I will live content with the amount of work that I've done today, with the amount of fruit that I've produced today and I will stop and I will enjoy it. And because I'm able to do that, I will actually experience the blessing of those things, while others will be pursuing them and pursuing them and miss the blessing altogether. And as I live that way and do that, it will be a signpost to the world that this is what it looks like to actually be able to experience these things the way God intended and designed his creation to do so. The author of this psalm goes on, and says this, they, they, they go from sort of the work that we do and, and the things that we kind of uh, endeavor in and the toil that we do and the way that we define ourselves. And he goes on to talk about, uh, uh, th- well, this is my, this is my, oh yeah, this is my verse I forgot I was going to read. <laughs> You've heard this verse many times maybe as a Christian. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth who had been fighting and arguing over what foods were right and what foods were wrong and what were holy and what weren't holy. And they had become so fixated on the right things and the wrong things to eat and to drink because their value and their worth was wrapped up in following rules and following laws. You see, much of the time for Christians and people who follow the Lord, we can get just as caught up in trying to live a religiously perfect life as some people do with careers that consume them. And Paul saw this happening in the church. And he said to them, listen, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We, we hear this verse a lot. We, get, we throw it out a lot. It gets thrown out a lot. But I don't think that we really often stop and recognize ex- just how significant it is. It really does perfectly encapsulate what the psalmist is saying, that we are the people who can do all the things that we do to the glory of God. And in doing that, we can enjoy those things more than so many others who need them in a way that's unhealthy and wrong. The psalmist goes on and says this, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So the psalmist goes on, And they move from sort of like the work that we do into our homes. They say who you are, um, if you are a person who fears the Lord and walks in his ways, then the blessing you experience will be felt in your home. It will be felt in your family. They talk about uh, the the way a wife and a marriage basically will function, how it will feel and how fruitful it will be. They talk about children and what it will be like and how, good of, how much of blessings they will be. They will be like olive shoots around your table. You can tell this is an agricultural, agrarian society. Obviously, they like to talk a lot about plants and they see the value of things growing up and shooting up about plants. Now, uh, now this is not literally just to say That the only people who are blessed are people who have lots of kids, people who have marriages, or even people who have certain kinds of agricultural jobs where they grow things. That wouldn't be any more accurate than to say that like as an olive shoot grows up and keeps growing where it's planted that your kids are supposed to stay in your house forever. I don't think that's what this is saying. So if someone uses this to support that, if one of your kids is like, well, you gotta let me back in because look, it says right here, right? An olive shoot, here I am around your table. I'm growing, you can't uproot me, right? That would be terrible. Say, ah, that's not what it means. Your family will be a source of joy in life. What they will not be is a curse. And you go, how could that be? How could a family be a curse? How could a person's marriage, having children, how could those ever be viewed as negative things? When we were um, starting out in ministry and I was a youth pastor, we had a youth leader um, who used to wear this shirt. And oh my gosh, if you want to make my wife mad, buy this shirt and wear it. Yeah, yeah, she's not happy. And, uh, and I think that's the right response, everybody. I think that's the right response. It was just somebody coming in and laughing and joking about like, you know, ha, 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 look at this funny shirt I found in this thing. Um, but uh, she was also a wedding photographer at the time and was at a lot of weddings. And one of the things that commonly gets joked about is this concept right here, right? Oh, you get married and your life is over, right? The old ball and chain, right? Freedom is gone, right? All these things are gone. And we joke about these things, but this isn't just a joke. This is actually the way that um, something that starts out beautiful and wonderful can absolutely be viewed, uh, especially if we do not have a fear of the Lord and walk according to his ways. You see, God invented family. He invented marriage. He invented uh, this concept of us reproducing by parents having children raising them in their families and then them going out in that way and he invented it to function and work in a specific way and it all had to be built on one thing him and so when these relationships in our lives our families are built on him they will be a blessing to us what they will not be is a curse And you have to only live in this life, in this world, in the flesh for, for a few years and be in a marriage or have a family to recognize how easy it is for that thing to happen. Uh, when we find the person that we want to marry, it's like finding a rock amongst all these other rocks and looking closely and seeing that it has these specks of valuable gold in it and going like, look at what I found. Look at what is here. And we stare at that goal. And, uh, you know, you might, you might want to pull down shoulder to somebody and say, look at how great this is. Look at how amazing this is. This is how it feels to find just the right person. To find our soulmate. To find the person that we are crazy about enough that we would say, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to devote, I'm going to commit my whole life to being with this person. And do you know why I'm going to do that? Because I want to have a good life. And I think this person and I are going to have a pretty good life. That is ultimately uh, much of why we make that decision, why we make that choice. We say, look. Look at the valuable things that are here, the wonderful things that are here. I can't believe who I found. I can't believe how amazing this person is. You find a person, you fall in love, and because you say, this person like, I want to build a life with them. This person, like, I like who I am when I'm with them. I love these things about them that are different from everybody else. I'll say that again. I love these things about them that are different from everybody else. They go, you know what I want to do? I want to stand before all the people in my life. And I want to go back to Scripture because God invented marriage. And I want to I commit in, in, in his name that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote myself to this person for the rest of my life. Why? Because I know that only good can come of that. Then we begin to live life married. After a while, something begins to happen what seemed like a rock with some incredibly rare, valuable gold specks in it starts to look kind of like a rock with only a little bit of gold in it and a whole lot of rock in it. And we start to go, man, like, they do that thing a lot. Or this thing that I like about them is kind of like always there, you know? Or they're always there. And we begin to see some pretty ugly things come out of ourselves or maybe come out of this other person as we, as we have devoted our lives together. And as scripture says, two flesh have become one flesh. Maybe we both want different things in life. Maybe our jobs aren't naturally going in the same direction. Maybe it turns out our ideas of marriage and family look different than we thought they did because it turns out that the families we came from were a little bit too different. Or maybe they were so much the same that we never thought about these things until we started building a family of our own. Maybe I learned more about this person's past. Maybe I learned more about their personality. Maybe these things are now really starting to become an issue that they didn't become before. We, we, we love each other. We want to sacrifice for each other. But back when we said those vows, we were also trying like 100%. And you cannot keep that up for 60 years. And I kind of figured that because this person was so amazing, that 50% would be fine and they would make up the difference with their amazingness. But the amazingness, I'm not seeing it as much anymore. Plus, I'm tired right now. Plus, they're around all the time. How do I hold up my end of the deal when I know that they could be trying harder to hold up their end of the deal? I mean, I know I need to do my part. I know I need to devote myself. I know I need to fulfill my vows, but... I'm a little disappointed. I'm often disappointed with how they don't seem to be trying hard enough to do what they're supposed to be doing. The way our world says to handle this is to walk away from any relationship that doesn't help us be who we want to be. You deserve better, says the world. You deserve more. And because we all fail in some capacity then you just need to keep score long enough to rack up enough points to justify saying, this marriage isn't really a blessing for me anymore or for you, not in the way that we thought, or maybe maybe it's I love you, but I just, I'm not sure that I like what I'm doing to you. I'm not sure that I like what you're doing to me or what the stress of this relationship is, that maybe we built up baggage over the years or some resentments, and it would just be easier to just start over now that, I'm, now that we're older and we know more and we've figured things out in life. Because honestly, as much as I loved you in the beginning, the goal of this whole thing, the goal of this whole thing was you were the best person to build a life with. And I'm starting to wonder if that's totally true, or if maybe there might be someone better out there to build a life with. When we take something like marriage, which God created, and we make it Uh, something without him. We we, 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 We make it work without him. It becomes a power struggle between people wanting to control this shared life. It becomes simply giving up of freedom, giving up of sexual freedom, giving up of the satisfaction and the relational freedom of lots of different partners and people. It becomes an obligation to shape my life around another person at the cost of what I may want for myself because they need something from me. It becomes something only valuable to me when it's immediately benefiting me. This person helps me be the best version of myself, but what do I do when they don't anymore? When the difficult things start to come up in life and in marriage, it no longer seems to be a blessing that it once was. What do we do in that situation? What do we do then? How does it make sense to do anything but walk away and find someone new and hope that it will work out better in the end? This is what the majority of people do. This is how we approach marriage and the world in which we live. And the successful couples are the ones that simply were were actually much more compatible and lucked out, and it wasn't quite so hard for them. But for the rest, that doesn't seem to be how it feels. Here's the thing that happens when a person fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Here's the thing that happens When the gospel of Jesus is true in your life and you recognize that he saved you from your sin and that because of that, that the only hope that you have is in him and not in who you are in the life that you're building and how great you really are. It puts you in a situation, in a position where you're no longer looking at other people saying the problem is out there. You're able to look inward and be honest about who you are and what's going on inside of yourself. The good news is that those who fear God and walk according to him will see their marriage and see their family for exactly what they really are. These are ways for God to grow us into Jesus himself. When my wife and I got married, it wasn't very long until she went from the good Ed and she encountered, uh, let's see, leave me alone, Ed. And then after that, I think a couple years later, there was kind of angry Ed And then after a couple of years after that, there's kind of anxious Ed. You get workaholic Ed. You get, uh, I think that's funny, but it turns out it's not funny at all Ed. You get all these different versions of Ed. And what I realize is that what marriage has done is it's put us both in a situation where um, when things get hard, I'm either going to look at it and say, look at what this person is doing and how they're not serving me enough and they're not doing enough. And marriage begins to break down because that was never how it was intended to work. Or it begins to be the environment in which God reveals the things about us that he wants to change, that he wants to grow us in. That we no longer have to focus on what this other person's going to do first, but we instead get to say, God, what is it that you're showing me about myself in this relationship? But the good news is this person loves me so much and they're committed to me that they're willing to stick it out with me as I own these things and as I try to be refined by you in this incredible thing. The gift of of relationships, not just marriage, although marriage is by far the most sort of concentrated version of this, the gift of relationships with people that are committed in Christian community and in the church and in God himself is that they are an incredible blessing to us because in those relationships, God reveals the things in us that he wants to change and shape. And instead of going around and looking at the world saying, "You're you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, where can I find some people who are good? God says, no, I want you to look at yourself. We see this when Paul talks about himself in the New Testament. He says this. We read it in Romans just a few months ago in our study there. He said, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You're like, what in the world did that say? It's very simple. He said, I want to do good. But I recognize that there is sin in me, and it causes me to do these things I don't want to do. If you really believe what that says, then you go, I need some work, but I need people around me, and I need someone around me who love me enough to stick it out with me as I confess and work on these things. And if I see what God intended for these relationships to really actually work like, guess what they are? They are the greatest blessing that you can experience. I learned, uh, I've learned through my marriage uh, to uh, do a better job of seeing what I'm doing and not necessarily focus so much on what my spouse is doing. Now, that's very hard for me. I've gotten really good at um, communicating a certain way. And it's uh, kind of what I do. It's how I try to get out of things, especially when I'm in trouble and I've blown it. I, I have these amazing lead-ins, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know I shouldn't have done this. I know I shouldn't have said this. I know I shouldn't have acted this way. I, you're right. I can do a better job of maybe summing up what, you know, what she's upset about than she might be able to that I'm doing or whatever. You know, just really, really good stuff, really amazing stuff, and then just just right at the end there, just right at the end there. if you just were willing to you know uh, if you could just remember to, if you could just keep in mind and um, because my wife's pretty smart, she knows what is happening here is <laughs> it's like it's like even in the moments when I think that I'm willing to look at what I'm doing and say, God, what is it that you want to reshape in me? I'm sometimes just getting really good at still putting it back on another person and saying, but really, we're not going to be able to move forward until you do this thing. Now, I know I'm the only one who does something like that. And I'm sorry that you guys have to deal with this and deal with me. But I don't think that's just something that happens in marriages. I think marriage is the most concentrated form of what happens when people are in relationship with each other. I think it's what happens in all the relationships that we experience in our life. That we put ourselves around other people, and the more in community we are with them, the more those relationships can feel like a blessing or a curse. The blessed person isn't the one with more relationships, and it isn't the one with the perfect spouse. It is the one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways and recognizes exactly how he intended this thing to work. That person is truly blessed because he is using these things to shape us into something beautiful and wonderful. And it is because we're committed to each other that we can do that and we find our life in him. We see the same thing happen with kids. You know, Justin was talking last week about about potty training, and about his daughter, and about everything. And I'll never forget when Justin came into my office right after he and Megan moved here from North Carolina. They drove all the way across country. He was about to start his new job as a youth pastor. They had their five-year plan. You know, we're going to work. We're going to save up some money. We're going to buy a house. We're going to do all these things, and then we'll have kids. Uh, And he sat in my office, and he said, I got to tell you something. And it was, like, serious. I was like, this is, like, this is, like, very bad news, whatever it is. I was thinking something had already happened, and he was like, I'm, I'm out of here. This is, this, this is not the place for me. And he just said, Megan's pregnant. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, it turned out, yeah, we found out she was pregnant two days before. You guys have probably heard the story. We found out she was pregnant like a few days before we left to drive across country to come here, to be away from all of our family and everything. She drove across country with like a bowl in her lap, I think, and was like not feeling too good. Um, and, as you know, what's, cra- what's crazy about that is, like, this is the way it works with kids. This is the way it works with families is that we all kind of have the plan and the way that we want things to go. And then if it kind of, it, you know, if it obviously doesn't go that way, uh, for us, we experience kind of the opposite extreme. We tried and tried and tried to have kids biologically, and it wasn't working, and it wasn't working, and it wasn't working. And so there was this feeling of, like, um, of like here's the terms on which I would like for it to work. Okay, God. And, and if it could work that way, what an incredibly great thing. And if it doesn't, it can be a struggle for us. Now, most of the time we make do and we go, this is great, this is amazing, this is a blessing. But the fact of the matter is that um, we can want kids and we can want families for so long and so much of our lives, but if they don't come, um, if it doesn't end up turning out the way that we thought that it should, if it doesn't end up turning out the way that we wanted it to, then these very things cannot feel like a blessing to us, they can feel like a curse. And in the very same way that marriages and relationships can feel that way, we can feel that way when we're building families. But what the psalmist is saying here is that this person who is blessed will look in their home and they will find blessing here because they recognize not that their happiness and their fulfillment is found in these people that God gave them. Their happiness and fulfillment is recognizing what he created this thing to do. Here's the good news, parents. God did not call you to raise junior Olympians. He did not call you to raise Rhodes Scholars. He did not call you to raise the next president of the United States. He did not call you um, to raise a child that everyone else would be jealous of and talk about how much better your kid is than their kid. He did not call you to build a family that looked amazing on a Christmas card. He did not call you to be... The most religiously upright family in the church. He did not call you to have the best have kids who have the best manners ever. He called you to raise and disciple children in him. There is no better way to disciple a human being than to raise a child in your home, in a home that loves and fears the Lord. And so the good news is that is where blessing comes is being able to maybe let go of all of the things that our secular world worries about defining as, what a parent should be doing, what our kids should look like, what our family should look like, and saying instead, maybe God intended for this to be built on him. And then when it's built on him, and us loving him together, and us sharing him together, and us walking through that together, and it doesn't have to be all these other things, then it can become a huge blessing, even in some of the hardest times that we encounter. Blessing is not just about let me put this up. Blessing is not just about the things that we get from outside, and that's how we think of it. When we think about being people who are blessed, we think about getting things. We think about circumstances, we think about material goods, we think about abundance, and we think... Um, those are the things that will make me feel blessed and those are the things that people will see in my life and they will say, wow, you're a lucky, fortunate person. That's not where real blessing comes from. That's not what it truly means. Blessing is not about the things and the circumstances that God gives us. It is about God giving us the ability to be blessed by these things. To be the people of God is to be able to find joy in the things that we are given. To be a people who can be blessed in those things, who can be blessed whatever the family looks like in the end, who can be blessed however the marriage seems to be going in the moment, who can find blessing in the work that we do, whether it's exactly what we wanted to be doing today or the last thing that we wanted to be doing today, whether we thought we were productive or we felt like we didn't produce a single thing. Blessing is not getting those things from God. Blessing is finding joy and fulfillment in God and then getting to enjoy those things exactly how he intended us to. What the psalmist finishes by saying is the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. What he's saying is the city of God, the city and the world, the church, All of these things will be transformed and will be blessed when you are blessed in this way. It works outward like a rock that you throw in a pond that it makes these waves that move out. If I am blessed in the Lord, if I recognize who he is, if I fear him and I walk in his ways, then my relationships with people will be blessed And they will be right and they will be in him. My work will be fulfilling to me and it will be in him because it will be right and it will be affected by that. And then the world, as it is filled with more and more people who live and act this way, will be changed by it. We will live in prosperity. We will see generations after generations fearing and loving the Lord if we make him the object of our love and our affection. I say this knowing that we all are here this morning with so many different circumstances in our lives. There are some of you here who feel like, no, I've, I've, had, a really, I've had a really fortunate hand. You know, God's given me the things that I wanted, when I wanted them, the way that I wanted them, and boy, oh boy, do I feel blessed by him. But I don't think that's how most feel. And the psalmist is not saying that that the Christian will be blessed by getting things from God. But what the psalmist is saying is that the Christian will be blessed. We are a people who can know that in following him, we will experience a joy unlike any other. And that is a really good reason to follow him. But we experience that joy despite the circumstances and where things are right now. We experience that joy by finding our life and our hope in him and then being able to enjoy these things and truly be blessed by them. Let's pray.